Welcome everybody to the Too High Podcast. I am a very sunburned Seth Galina alongside uh, Mr. Deontay Lee. Deontay, what's going on? Not much, man. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, let's start with some weather talk, of course. Of course. Uh, it's, it's, I, I said this before, but it's like Cincinnati is warm. Uh, it's not this warm in Montreal, Quebec, but it is warm in Cincinnati. And so I went to the Bengals game yesterday and I didn't wear any sunscreen. And I'm paying the price. Being that I'm, yeah, being that I'm the whitest person <laughs> on the planet, this was not a good idea. <laughs> uh, but luckily, I did get to see a very, very good... I, I don't know if it was a good football game, but I got to saw, see one of the weirdest football games of all time with uh, four missed kicks that had a chance to win the game. Anyways, we will get to the Bengals in a bit. But, um, oh, uh, what happened to you on Friday night? One, we won. Um, somehow, we did the numbers. Somehow, we gave up 13 points, even though we only allowed 122 yards of offense. So... Don't know exactly how does that the happened, team but does the team need a new defensive coordinator? Is that what you're trying to say? Maybe I might be on the hot seat. <laughs> I might be on the hot seat. Uh, yeah, very quickly uh, you can you can get on the hot seat um, at the high school level in San Diego. Okay, let's get yes. to the game of the week, which we talked about last week, which is the Bills and the um, Chiefs. Bills come out, dominate the whole game, and I think the first thing that I noticed watching the game was not to toot my own horn too much, but they did what we kind of thought that they were kind of in the process of doing, which was saying, hey, you know what? We love Josh Allen. We think he's really good. But at the same time, we don't have to live in this world where we put everything on Josh Allen's shoulders and everything on the receiver's shoulders to win one-on-one. So we can come a little more condensed. We can bring tight ends on the field. They played with a real fullback. Mm-hmm. Not just their dumb, not I shouldn't say call it dumb, it's not dumb, but they're not just their sniffer stuff um, where they bring like Dawson Knox or, or whoever else in the in the backfield. It was a real fullback situation. They ran the ball, especially on the, on, the, on the first drive. The first drive, you know, early in the game, it reminded me a lot of, I don't know if you remember the Texans-Bills playoff game in 2019, I believe. And they came out the gate, and, and Josh Allen wasn't Josh Allen at that time, but they were still in the playoffs right. and they came out and they gave Josh Allen quarterback runs. And it's like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, we can take some passing stuff off your plate and then put it into a, a run game. Now we're going to use the quarterback as a runner. We know we're getting a lot of too high coverages because that's what we saw last year against the, against the Chiefs in the um, – in the AFC title game. So this is, we can get, not even just, oh, we're gonna hand the ball off and kind of pound the weak side big gap bubble. Like, hey, we can use our quarterback and get an even extra uh, hat on there um, as a blocker. They had a really nice pin and pull play early in the game and they're able to get down the field and and kind of, I mean, have their way with the Chiefs defense, which is not a very good unit right now. Yeah, I was going to say it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to, to credit something that you like somebody succeeding against something that, you know, is not very good. But they were they were really able to kind of maul them in, in the running game. And the one thing from Josh Allen, when they were in situations that they had to pass um, that I thought really stood out to me was unlike the AFC championship game last year, he just wasn't a disaster against man and wasn't a disaster against pressure. And I had maybe underrated just how much more they can do on offense if it's not a disaster. I mean, it's not like he lit up, you know, their cover zero and cover one looks, 
but he made smart decisions when it was there. He tucked it when it, when he needed to. You didn't get the 24-yard sack, you know, where he's trying to throw guys off of him, you know, and fling the ball around him. He wasn't dangerous. He was not. He did not make any dangerous decisions with the football, and that was able to kind of get Kansas City out of it, that in the run game. And then when you get those soft zone looks, that's when you're able to be more patient in the pocket. And, um, you know, we've kind of been touching on this from the beginning of the year. At the end of the day, if you play soft zone against this guy and he's able to extend, he's one of the best, you know, at improvising and extending out of structure in the league. And he, they were able to hurt Kansas City with that a couple of times. A few of the throws to Dawson Knox came on extended, extended plays, you know, being able to get out of, up the sideline or waiting for a crossing route to work all the way from one side of the field to the opposite sideline. That's really what I, I left impressed with. You know, I think that the, conversa the conversation about the Chiefs that I'm prepping to have is that I, I think we can kind of close the window for them on this year as contenders unless something happens, you know, something drastic happens with fixing their defense because you just cannot consistently win if this is a performance that your defense is putting up against good teams, especially not in their division because they've got some good offenses in their division. The, the, for me, the, one of the starkest contrasts contrast was in the trenches on both mm -hmm. sides because you had a Buffalo Bills team that could block very easily a Chiefs front four. And then on the other side, you had a Chiefs offensive line that could not block the four-man rush from from the Bills, and we'll get to that in a second. And yeah, I, I really agree with you when talking about Josh Allen. This was Josh Allen that wasn't like trying to do too much. He didn't need to. Again, they, they I, I go back to it. They went down the field on the first drive. They ran the football. They gashed him uh, uh, on the ground, and then he's able to make some plays, like you said, extending. I mean, even the 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 one play where he got the touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders on like the out and up. You know, he's. It's not really an, an extended play where he gets out of the pocket. But his ability, but but the offensive line giving him this time allows him to freeze the safety with his eyes. Exactly. And then you're in cover three, you freeze the safety with your eyes. That means you have a little bit of more room down the middle of the field on a um, on, on that out and up. And then this corner didn't play it super well, but it is what it is. And the safety can't get there, and he's able to throw a laser beam for a touchdown. So one of the things I looked up and I tweeted about it earlier was how and we, we said this last week like they kind of were spooked after mm -hmm. the Steelers game because they played the Steelers in week one this year and then the, their last game that they played was the AFC title game against Kansas City and you're looking at what they were trying to do in those games which was put it all on Josh Allen's shoulders and that leads to uh, variability yes he's a very talented player yes he's potentially a generational player however he's a human being like there's going to be games and he's not like he's not like this pinpoint accuracy player either he does other stuff that's generational but his accuracy is not generational so you're going to put a lot of his shoulders and it, it and it just didn't work out the way that they wanted it to and they and mm -hmm. kudos to them to say hey you know what we can take some load off of his shoulders so one of the things that i looked up is the percentage of snaps now game script does play into this a bit but right. the percentage of snaps where they played basically in what we'd call 10p formation so anything where there's a tight end it's four receivers could be a tight end on the field or or whoever on the field but they're not in a tight end position you know they're not in line like a fullback or a tight end something like that so those will be called open formations um 60 in the title game against um the chiefs obviously again they're down in that game maybe it makes a bit big a bit of a difference but then only 
last night against uh, the Chiefs in uh, in Arrowhead. So I think that is something that they – it was like a mindset that's like, okay, we, we want to run the football. We know we're going to get too high. We're going to run the football. We're going to try and burst the bubble. And and it worked, and, and they and they were able to protect Josh Allen just – and, and again, it's like what that that meant that Josh Allen did not need to be a superhero because he wasn't. You know, there's some th- you know he gets Dawson Knox wide open because uh, Daniel Sorensen looks at him while he's scrambling, and then he forgets to cover Dawson Knox. They get Dawson Knox on the crossing route. Um, not you know he's kind of covered and 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 you know that he makes a good play on the ball. It's not really a great throw by Allen or anything like that, but it allows Allen to just be normal for a game and then not lose by 20 points. Exactly, and that is so important because as much again, I'll go, I'll go back to the same thing. As much as Josh Allen is kind of a generational player, it's okay once in a while. He's not going to be perfect every game, and it's okay once in a while to take some away from him and let him be a normal player. I mean, you don't want to have to ask your quarterback to have to be that, right? Like, there are so many great quarterbacks that we spend so much time talking about how much better it would be if they could be in a situation where you're not asking them to have to be everything for the offense at all times. And I think, you know, one of the themes of the year for me on the offensive side of the ball is just what teams are doing on first down. Because it's the teams that can't do anything on first down right now, you can kind of cross off, you know, their ability to stay in contention throughout the course of the game. And one of the issues that the Bills had last year, not being able to run the ball, is that you're always in second and eight. And if you're always in second and eight against a team that wants to get in a dime and bring all these different pressures and different cover two rotations, then you're never making them make any other decisions, right? But... The fact that they were able to run the ball early, they were efficient on first down when they did pass the ball, that helps you keep yourself in a situation where, hey, you get in the second and four, you get in the third and three, and you can live just fine. You know, you can get into those calls where if you're getting man, if they're rushing five, if they're rushing six, if they're playing soft quarters or cover three, you know, you can actually call the offense that attacks whatever that look is. Um, They weren't able to do that last year. They were able to do that this year. And then it obviously helps that the Chiefs are just not even what they were last season in terms of defense. Um, So those holes are even wider now. But, yeah, to your point about not being in those open formations as often, it it does a lot for them. The fact that Josh Allen was able to operate out of play action um, does a lot for them. That was a big issue early in his career. I mean, it's really kind of been throughout his career. Anytime he turns his back to the defense, typically bad things have happened. Um, but the fact that he was able to stay efficient in his process against Kansas City, that looked good to me as well. And, you know, I was a little kind of up and down on what I thought about this offense coming out of week one. But now looking at kind of the way that they've adjusted, I think that we can consider them serious. I think they're still serious. Sure. They've been explosive. They've been explosive the last four weeks. You know, it's been extremely explosive the last month. So I do think that they probably stand right now at or if not at the top right next to whoever you would consider at the top in the AFC. Because they can do it in so many different ways now. That's right. what we're finding out, which is right. super impressive. And yeah, I think they're, they're able to, they can score points on literally anybody right now. And even when, and again, even when Josh Allen doesn't play well, like the, uh, the, the Miami, they, they go down to Miami for 35 points and Josh Allen is not good. Like that's a right. sign of a really dominant football team. And I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if the AFC championship game goes through Buffalo this year. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I got to do a uh, is it pronounced Mia culpa or Mia culpa on my favorite safety in the league, Daniel Sorensen. <laughs> this is what I get for trying to hype up a white safety. <laughs> like I was gonna, I was, was I didn't want to make the joke, so I'm glad you did. <laughs> uh, 
you know what? I think what, what I was trying to get at last week was like, okay, hey, I know he's not like a great safety, and I know he's obviously not a great line. He doesn't play linebacker, but he's not a great, um, you know, not a great linebacker, not a great safety, not a good linebacker, not a good safety, but maybe he's a good dime player. You know, and it's like, okay, yes, you, right. you don't have, it's like, okay, we're in the NFL, like the rosters aren't huge. We can't find a, a, a great player to play every position and from every personnel group. It's like, oh, here we go. This is my guy, Daniel Sorensen. He, this man allows the Chiefs to play dime. And look what happened last night. It was not good, man. Yeah. Just one, just one of the worst yeah. games. It was, it was just bad. Just bad. Nothing else to say about it. Yeah, uh, let's flip. Go ahead. It's really not. No, I was going to say, uh, I mean, the Chiefs just, they can't control, they can't control game situation. So it doesn't matter how good you are or not. If you can't control the game situation, you're never going to be yeah. in a position to do your best stuff. Let's flip it over to the Chiefs offense where I thought that they, so it's, it was talked about last night and, you know, you go on Twitter and you'll find a million tweets about this, how the Bills stayed in too high, a lot of, a lot of quarters, and a lot of cover two, and Mahomes wasn't able to do anything. Now, I think one of the reasons it worked was they weren't get, they were allowing some runs, but they weren't getting gashed because yes, you know they're, they're, they I thought they tackled really well in one on one situations. So you know you're going to there's going to be holes there to, for the running back to put to to run through because you're out gapped in the box because you're playing with two high safeties. But there's a big difference between saying between what happened, which was, hey, we allow a five-yard run, hey, we allow a six-yard run, versus, hey, we allow a 12-yard run. Exactly. Because you, you will get, even if you're, if you're in a light box, like we know this, you will still get stops. Like it's not like, oh, you're in a light box, so automatically it's five yards. No, there's gonna be plays where you're, where you're you know, getting a TFL or whatever. And I think one of the big differences, you're still, the difference between the six yard gain and the 12 yard gain is you're still forcing the offense to grind it out a little bit because eventually right. they're going to try and grind it out and they're going to get the TFL. And I thought they tackled really well. Tremaine Edmonds, Tremaine Edmonds tackled really well. And there was a play where Clyde tries to get outside again, light box tries to get outside and the defensive end just comes off of it. Like they have, it's all there for them. Defensive end comes off, makes a one-on-one -on -one tackle. And it's like that to me was a really big difference in the game because I thought they, had the ability to run the ball in terms of you know the offensive their offensive line versus the Bills defense, defensive line and linebackers in the run game but not being able to go get a 25 yarder at all not being able to go get even a 10 yarder that much i think that forced Kansas City to say yeah we're we're getting yards we're not like in negative plays but can we keep doing this right cuz you're again you're not in control of the game situation right like if you can never break a defense out of it that was a, that was basically what they were able to do last week against Philadelphia right obviously a less talented defense than what the bills have but the the fact that they were able to get those explosive runs now all of a sudden you can't play those soft zones or your linebackers are dropping 12 to 15 yards deep for those crossers, right? And the second that you can get them to start creeping up and you've had these explosive runs and now you can run all your spread play action game, that's when you get your Tyreek Hills on those, you know, big posts over the top. You're able to get that isolated coverage in the intermediate areas with Travis Kelsey and Mecole Harmon, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, to your point, it's not just about like hey can we run the ball and get a good gain or something that we're happy with like of course you can do that 
But again, if you're not controlling the situ the game situation, if you're not breaking the defense out of what they're doing to force you to run the ball, then you're not actually getting desired results, regardless of what it says on the stat sheets. And they were just never able to get Buffalo in a scenario where they had to come out of their quarters looks, you know. And I don't think that it was very reminiscent in a way of the Super Bowl, right? Like the decisions yeah. that Patrick Mahomes was making, they're fine. Like, oh, both I got something to say about that, but go on. Like, I think that <laughs> the the, the inter, I mean, the two interceptions I will say I, I would not charge as a minus for him. Um, you know, one one being you know a defensive lineman getting big hands on an RPO throw, and the other yeah. one obviously being deflected off of his own receiver's shoulders. Like that happens, but I do think that for the most part, I think he tried he tried to make decisions underneath the same way that he did last week, and I just think it it just didn't work out in the exact same way. So I'm I'm not as critical of Patrick. I would love to hear you know your perspective on it yeah. because you you have a little bit better of a perspective on it from the offensive side of the ball than I do. But I saw a lot of quick game from Kansas City that just wasn't going, that just didn't break into like a lot of yards after catch opportunities. Yeah. And it seemed like they just never felt like they were comfortable enough to be able to take those downfield shots against what Buffalo was doing. Yeah, I, I don't, they couldn't because Buffalo, like you said, could stay in what they wanted to do and play deep. And one of the things I thought was interesting was, so they play, you know, uh, Teron Johnson at nickel and, you know, I don't know if you would do this so much against any, any other team but the Chiefs, but they're able to really, you know, they're in a quarters look, and he, even from the nickel, is getting so much depth on his drop. Yes. Because, and then and what I think I saw one time was him him and the, the safety to his side were able to exchange a route just because he dropped so deep because they know who they're playing against, mm -hmm. right? And that's something, and then again, it's, it's the same thing. Like, if you can't get them out of this by gashing them for 12 yards, you're gonna you're gonna have problems. They could get into their RPO game a lot. Um, you didn't see a lot of RPO throws, and I think with Mahomes, so the, the the first thing about that passing game is they couldn't throw the ball down the field because the safeties were so deep and yada yada yada. Second thing about that about that passing game is offensive line fucking sucked. Like sorry. Yes, this was by, I think this was by far their worst week in terms of pass protection. Uh, both tackles were just getting beat time after time after time, and so obviously that that's gonna that's gonna kill you. And against a four, again, it gets a four man rush because they didn't come out of it. They didn't even blitz that much, you know, on a third down situation. A four man rush, and then we're gonna we're just gonna win. All right, well there you go. And then I did think that Mahomes missed some plays in structure. I think about it. There's an out route to tie, to Kelsey, I believe, and I think there's one over the middle mm -hmm. to maybe McColl when they're playing. They split it, played Tampa two, or just cover two, and it might have been two man actually. And whoever the number three is or the number two on the slot just beats the the pole runner so easy. And you you expect Mahomes to make those plays. He misses, so he didn't he doesn't throw the ball in those plays, which I was surprised. And then he, early in the game, he misses Kittle on that like wheel route down the sideline, overthrows him. There was a couple overthrows that you didn't like to see, but again, it it, it, it to me it all goes back to the same thing which is, that to me was like the third most important thing. Because if they could have gotten the run game going, if they could have gotten them out of that, and then the offensive line could have blocked in the pass pro, then, then you're probably seeing a regular Mahomes game where he torches the defense. Though they did play their, our, our favorite coverage against Tyreek in the, against Trips Open, which is weak mm -hmm. side rotation. And then yep. let, let Tyreek or Mikol, whoever, the, whoever they wanted to run that deep crossing route, let's let them run into the weak safety, which um, right. we're always happy when, when um, people listen to what we say on the 2 High podcast.
<laughs> I mean, even, you know, again, another kind of quiet, quiet part of the game was that I very uncharacteristically, and the one thing I will agree with you on, the Chiefs were not able to were not able to attack them when they did catch Buffalo in man coverage situations. That that kind of blew me away. You know, looking at our data and seeing that there were that they only completed two of their six attempts, and it was for like seventeen yards of, of offense. If you de- if you can't get them out of quarters, and then when they do get out of quarters, you're not punishing them immediately for it. Then yeah, you're not going to be unless you have some ridiculous you know Derrick Henry two hundred and sixty yard rushing day, then you're never going to beat a defense like that. So that's why I'm like, this is very reminiscent of, in a way, of the Super Bowl that they just played against Tampa Bay, where, again, not controlling the game state at all. When you get the looks that you want, you're not necessarily in a position to take advantage of it because you haven't played in a way where you feel like you've set up those shots to take. Um, and then, you know, you those two or three opportunities you do get, like you said, against cover two, you know, whether it's up the seam or along the sideline, you miss out on those. And then that that's the game right there. So that, that it, the margins get really, really thin if you cannot control the game situation the way the Kansas City had trouble with yesterday. There, there was another play where I thought it was really interesting where, and again, because you're in these, you're letting the Bills play whatever they want on the back end. I think there's a play where Kelsey is running a corner out from a, I don't know if he was like a slot or he was like the, the backside like X in a condensed split, but he runs a corner and the corner back to that side, you know, whether it was Trey White or whatever, is kind of giving him a muddy read. And he thinks mm-hmm. that I got to stop this because they try and they try to run into space as much as anyone else, especially Kelsey, and just try and be on the same page as, as Tyreek run into space. He'll find me. And there's a play where he stops his route in the zone thinking that that the corner is playing high and outside and the corner actually ends up being a little low which tells Mahomes well if he's low I'm gonna throw the corner out and stop it and it's like you know it's just one it is one of those games but uh, but it's yes that's a miscommunication but I think it's it plays into the whole well we can get them out of the Bills being able to do that sort of stuff to us Uh, okay before we get off the game uh, just going forward I know you said it before, but you say it again. Like, where do you think these two teams are going forward? I mean, I think the Chiefs The Chiefs are obviously too talented to miss the playoffs. They'll beat all the bad teams on their schedule. All the bad and mediocre teams on their schedule, they'll beat. You know, probably blow them out. Um, but I, I do think that those games are going to give give people a little bit of misinformation on what this team's trajectory is. I said you can't, you cannot contend for a Super Bowl, in my opinion, with the offenses that exist in the league right now if this is the way that you're playing defense. So, you know, I, I still think that they're the best team in the AFC West just because of what they can do offensively. I still think they'll win the division, although I do think it'll be pretty tight between them and Los Angeles. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see it for them this year. And for the Bills, like I said, right now, I have them at the top. You know, they're the class of the yeah. AFC right now. I think all roads to the Super Bowl through the AFC goes through Buffalo at, at this moment, at least. What about you? Kansas City has an interesting stretch, three games in a row in November. Green Bay, Las Vegas, Dallas. That's going to go a long way in determining whether they win a division or not, really. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Uh, Before we get on to our next topic, um, some new news here at the uh, Too High Podcast. If you go to pff.com and you put in subscription code Too High, so T-W-O-H-I-G-H, you can get 25% off any uh, PFF subscription. So what do you get with a PFF subscription? You get all of the PFF locked article content, which is, if you're listening to the Too High, 
<laughs> that's what you want because that's what me and Deontay have for you. Uh, locked article <laughs> content. Um, PFF, PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards, grade power projections, cover probabilities, and betting values. Zero to 100 grades of every single player, including the top rookies on every team. Player prop tool, which shows uh, positive and negative value for every NFL prop and much, much more. So go on PFF.com. Check out the highest graded players for um, from this past week, and then uh, you'll see um, you know, whatever value you want on spread picks for an early look ahead. All right, um, staying in the NFL for a couple more topics. Uh, so, like I said, I was at the Cincinnati Bengals game yesterday. They lose in the weirdest way possible. I just want to tell you, so I wrote an article this morning. Uh, by the time anyone's listening to this, I think it'll be out on pff.com. On Burrow and the issues they, they have with that offense. So, they're 3-2. and two, They were 3-1. and one, Everyone was hyped up about them. They didn't play nobody. They're about to play everybody. So, this is going to be a problem for them going forward. The offense is bottom quarter of the league, you know, maybe like, uh, I think the numbers aren't out yet, but I want to say they're 24th in EPA per play, or the PFF's EPA per play, so not very good. Even though Burrow is the eighth highest graded quarterback in the league. So what the hell's going on here? It's, it's like this, this, this Zach Taylor person, I hope I, I I hope I don't run into him while I'm here in Cincinnati, because I'm gonna give him peace of my mind. I so this 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 was the off this was okay. Joe Burrow I thought Joe Burrow was obviously this generational quarterback, this transcendent quarterback. Obviously I thought that. Turns out he's not quite that. He'll never be the scrambler that he was in 2019 at LSU. He wasn't that type of player in 2018. It was a one-time season, I guess. And now you're coming off the knee injury and everything, and it's he's in the NFL. Only a few guys get to carry that over to the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen, etc. So he's not that type of quarterback, but he is still supremely accurate. He still understands the game very well. But so what, they've, what they did in, in his first year in 2020 was say, okay, Yes, Zach Taylor, I come from the Sean McVay system, but I actually want to run inside zone. And it kind of works because that's what we saw work for Burrow at LSU. We're going to put him in the gun. We're going to run inside zone, a few RPOs here and there, and then we're going to run a lot of empty. And this goes back to the same thing we talk about every week and the same thing we kind of talked about with Josh Allen. Okay, if you have a transcendent quarterback, if you have a generational quarterback, spread out as much as possible. If you have a good receiving core, spread out as much as possible. A, it, it can help your O-line to a certain degree deci deciphering some stuff because you spread some people out. And then you, what you do, the more spread you are, is you live in one-on-ones. And that was why this is, this is you know, like 20 years ago, one of the reasons why the spread era blossomed was because defenses could not live in one-on-ones. You had big players on the field who didn't know how to cover. Uh, they were playing cover two to stop the option, you know what I mean? Like this was such a different ball game for defenses. And obviously we've, we're here 20 years later, they can cover one-on-one. -on -one. So you better have transcendent players at the receiver position and at the quarterback position. Again, I thought Joe Burrow was this player. I don't think he is anymore, but there's still a lot you can do with him. It seems like Zach Taylor has not figured this out yet. They, they he has figured out to a certain degree. So 
29 so 2019 and 2020 2020 is the year with burrow they go shotgun inside zone they're a huge shotgun inside zone team and they can't they can't do anything so he says all right wait a minute what's everyone doing right now and i got a quarterback coming off an acl what's everyone doing right now under center outside zone and we're going to play action off of it that's from you know mcveigh shanahan i was just with mcveigh a couple years ago so i can do this here's the issue they literally just line up and under center and give a ball and it's like did you are you not watching what sean mcveigh is doing sean mcveigh has 21 plays from under center with a jet motion that's happening right at the snap this this season the Bengals have one and the funny thing is the Rams aren't even running that offense anymore and they still do it <laughs> like it's wild to me so they don't they're they're like low in so they're running a lot of outside zone now 60% when they go under center which they do a lot more than they ever have 60% of their runs are outside zone and si- and they run the ball 80% of the time when they go under center that's high too so yeah. like it's outside zone. They're, they're like, okay, whoa, this is it. We're going to run. We're going to go back. To, we're going to do what everyone else is doing. We're going to run outside zone. But you're not doing anything with it. You're not shifting. You're not do, running motion pre-snap. You're not running motion at the snap. And your offensive line fucking sucks. So, like, like you need to be doing this stuff to get linebackers. You need all this eye candy. That's the whole thing with the outside zone stuff was just – like if if a team like I understand outside zone is a cool scheme whatever but to get the gains you want on the ground you gotta be able to move linebackers eyes and get them thinking in weird ways because they see all this action and they do not do any of that so they still suck on the ground and then the problem is you suck on the ground you're running the ball 80% of the time when you're under center so you're not even giving yourself a chance with any play action. They've run like 22 under center play actions this year. Like you're not, you're not giving yourself a chance to work an offense where, yes, we can get you some stuff on the ground. But with that said, we're also trying to create explosive plays or trying to create first downs off the play action game. And they're not doing that. And uh, it, like I wrote, like, you know, I tweeted, it's like the table of contents menu from the Sean McVay offense. It's like here's here's our here's the first page of our um, of our outside zone run game, um, you know, sp- spot in the uh, playbook. But we don't we don't know anything else about it. We just know that the, right. the outside zone exists. <laughs> it exists in the playbook. That's all I know is that it's in there somewhere. <laughs> so it's it's fr- it's frustrating to me as a as a Joe Burrow fan because it's like I'm I'm gonna admit it that he's not the player that I thought he he could be, and he could still grow into that player because he is super accurate. But he's not like just like again like a a transcendent type of figure so that is part a and then part b is the empty stuff so okay yes lsu great and empty in 2019 but again like i said before you you could win every one-on-one with that receiving core and you could win one-on-ones when you got a free rusher and burrow escaped it and threw the ball down the field which we saw one time in the in the uh, in the game against the Packers when he threw the touchdown to Jamar Chase. I don't even know if that was an empty though. So what happens is you're running all this empty. You're better at it. Your passing game is a little better at it just because you you simply drafted Jamar Chase, who's like really, really good receiver, it turns out. But the issue is you're forcing 
a receiving core that I think a lot of people thought was going to be really, really, really good that is just good or really good um, to, to make plays time after time. And the other thing is they are as spread as possible when they run empty. It is like receiver on the sideline, receiver on the sideline, slots in normal positions. Everyone's doing the, everyone is just spread. And when you look at what um, Sean McVay is doing with his empty stuff that he's been doing for years with his empty stuff is, A, they will motion to empty. A, they will, they will send stacks and bunches even though they're in empty. And that allows the picks and the rubs that you get from all the stack releases and bunch releases allows people to get open. So now what all the, all the Bengals can do is say, we're going to work a straight release. We're going to run up five yards and we're going to run in, out, or stop. Whether it's a weak side player or whether it's the, the strong side number three on like a Haas Juke type concept. That's, we can't do anything else. So what you see the Packers do is the Packers are playing too high. The Packers are generally a too high team. And you're thinking, okay, I like this matchup, empty versus too high, because now we're going to stress the Mike linebacker, we're going to stress the Will linebacker, because they got to cover more people now, because they don't have a safety down in the box with them. Well, the Packers were like, okay, we're going to line up at too high, but actually our safety is going to play at 10 yards flat-footed, and we're going to bracket everybody, because we, we know you're not going to throw the ball over, deep over the middle of the field. Like you don't have anything else to get us out of it, and you see a ton of plays where they're just bracketing, and then they're, they're running the option route. Burrow has nowhere to go, and then it's just not good. And that and that's the problem with, with this damn team. It's like Burrow is not good enough to just carry, carry, carry an offense. I hope he does become that one day. He's not good at it right. Good enough at it. Good enough of it at it right now so put him in the McVay offense put no put him in the bastardized version of the McVay offense put him in a real thing where you you're creating offense for him as a play caller as a play designer done I'm with you I'm with you I mean you covered <laughs> no you really you covered it all I mean the empty stuff is probably the thing that bothers me the most um because I don't there are a lot of teams where when you watch them get into empty it's a very specific package and you're looking for something very specific in it Right, like so. To your point with um, with the Rams and McVeigh, like when he had golf, you get an empty with these tight splits to get clear uh, man zone indicators, and then you're running man beaters. If you know you're getting man and zone beaters, if you know you're getting zone, and it's a very easy way to get the ball out of your quarterback's hands and into the hands of guys with yeah. yards after catch opportunities. With them, like you said, their empty package is more just like, hey, our regular two by two and three by one stuff, we're just going to do that. We're just going to do it from empty instead of having the back in the backfield. And if you're not creating any strain on the defense, then they're not going to be strained. You know, you know the outside. They ahead. don't even motion to empty. I know. They, which is wild. they line up. It's like break the huddle, line up and empty. Which does what? I don't know what that does to a defense. The outside zone stuff, like you said, there's no window dressing, so it's just a race to the edge defenses can do that all day especially if you're playing up against a team like the Packers who live in an odd front world they're used to setting wide edges and keeping the ball in the box so again you're not straining a defense that way the the odd thing with them that I look at from an offensive perspective and I would love to know what the reasoning is when they run their duo scheme they do it from gun yeah like I, well, 2019 LSU there you go like I right huh yeah I guess <laughs> there's my answer right but I'm like if you watch everybody else who runs duo, you get in the under center with these tight splits and your quarterback turns the ball to hide it so that way you get time for the double teams. If it's not that, then you can basically fit it like zone, you know, if you're a defense. And they did score off of it. Um, you know, Mixon made a really good play out on the yeah. edge, shaking a corner. But 
on the for the most part, I don't think you're not getting enough push up front. You're not the Cowboys. You don't have their offensive line right now. There just has to be more. There has to be more. And to your point, and I've said this about Cliff Kingsbury as well, when the Cardinals offense was struggling, is the way that he calls the game, it, it is much more like a collection of plays than it is like a progression within an offense. I don't know which play is setting up the next. I don't know which personnel package is what you're using to do what. I don't know what's supposed, what is the biggest threat on this offense other than the fact that they can say, hey, we have Jamar Chase, you know, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Drew Sample. But I'll tell you what, the only like, like, the only guy who's like this season is really making plays for them is Jamar on the outside. It's Jamar. And that's it. So, and really the plays that he's making. And I like, the, I like, like the other guys too, but. I do too, but I'm like, and to me, the the playmaking profile for Jamar this year has really just been like, hey, can we confirm one-on-one on the outside and then run some yeah. kind of vertical option route? That's it. If it's press, we'll run a fade, throw the fade. If he's off, we'll just run a hitch. We'll throw the hitch. That's basically the offense for them. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess that's okay. But to your point, if the Packers and defenses like this get into a world where they start playing tighter to routes because you can do that in the NFL and with the offensive line they have, you can really play tight to routes and still be able to generate pressure, they're going to continue bumping their head against this stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. You know, Zach Taylor, I'm not sure what the job security is in Cincinnati. I'm not going to make the joke about the, them wheeling out the – substitute teacher (laughs) (laughs) you know i don't know what you know i don't know what their timeline is for their head coach but at this point now the offense has been the offense this is the same offense as was with andy you know they've just added new offensive pieces but i don't know where the evolution is in the scheme and you can't it does not make sense to me to continue to ask joe burrow to go be aaron Rodgers. you know that's it's not a winning business model yeah, and that schedule gets really tough. Yes. I mean, I, they, I think they have the Lions and, and another bad team, but besides those I'm two, like, two the games, division everyone is else is tough. The division is nasty. They got some tough games coming up, man. It's it's not going to look good if they force if they force Burrow to be this one on one player. Uh, he's just it's not happening right now. And maybe and again, it's like maybe like Kyler has done so far, uh, maybe not this past weekend, but maybe like Kyler has done, it'll just click. And it'll, and it'll, and then all of a sudden it, everything's working and Joe Burrow 2019 will show up again. But I don't know if that's uh, I, I man. That's a hell of a gamble. Happening. That is a I hell know. of a gamble to make. And and it's like I get it that they did it in 2020 to a certain degree. Hey, we'll go you know shotgun uh, split zone RPO whatever. But now it's we're done with that. Um, and they haven't made that change. Like I said, they have gone to a more of an under center outside zone scheme. But again, it's like okay, you you're, you're just it's like one step forward, two steps back. Uh, did you know, Deontay, that it's football season? And do you know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the, t- with the sponsor of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs have never, has never been easier, and it's time for you to join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all other trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe. That is a trademarked code, advanced skin safe, skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has, 7, 000, has a 7,000 RPM motor a new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K, 4,000 LED 
spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is also waterproof? Rain, snow, or sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. For this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code PFF. A stiff arm your pubes out of the playoffs this year with Manscaped. All right. Speaking of the Sean McVay offense, uh, give me, I know we talked about, you wouldn't, so I, I'll give the listeners a little behind the scenes here. Uh, Deontay wouldn't let me talk about Stafford for a week. He told me, because we talked about it too much, but I love it. And they, you know, they get to win in Seattle on Thursday night. And uh, Stafford was a little off early in the game, but he's still making unbelievable throws all the time. What are your thoughts about this 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 marriage between uh, Sean McVay and Matt Stafford? Um, the same thing that we say every week, which is that they can run a brand new kind of, well, not a new, but they can get into different things offensively. You know, and some people kind of pointed it out, something that you and I talked about. Every time they got into a must-pass situation, they basically ran the same concept, right? You create three levels of routes. You have something deep, something intermediate, and something shallow, and you have a dig coming from the backside. And the reason why you can do that with Matt Stafford is because he can both work the progression and use his arm talent to be able to drill that backside dig when it's there. And that's how Robert Woods gets 12 receptions for a ridiculous amount of yardage, right? Like, that's what it comes down to. Being able to do that in must-pass scenarios is going to bail you out. I don't, I mean, the running game obviously just is not what it was when they had healthy prime Todd Gurley, when they were doing, when they had that offensive line that they did and they were able to get into 12 personnel and do all the crazy stuff that they had with like their jet motions and outside zone game, even though it's effective, you know, again, talking about first down offense, they don't have to have that be the best part of their offense to survive. And you can see it, you know, Seattle, I thought played pretty well defensively, but I mean, what can you do if you cover, if you cover everything, you know, if they cover everything as part of the progression and then you just have to rely on being able to win one-on-one -on -one, and the quarterback is beating your one-on-one -on -one coverage, which is throw every time, you know, you lose those games and that's just what it is. And, you know, again, talking about like the class of the class of these conferences until I, I got to see a defense t really take that away before I think any differently about the Rams. I don't know what you're supposed to do to stop that outside of just getting very deep in coverage and then opening the door for their running game to be what it's been before. I think that, and this is what I want to talk about last week about the Rams offense, but you wouldn't let me, uh, is, uh, is so the game against Arizona, we only score like 13 points or something like that, um, and Arizona blows them out. Honestly, and I wrote this on Twitter, there was a 30-point game plan. Like, they had beaters all over the field. They had guys open all over the field, and Stafford missed a few throws. And this is what we said early in the year, like, is is are there going to be games where – Stafford is just Stafford, where you're like, he's doing everything right, and then he throws the ball into coverage or he overthrows people. I will say he's not throwing the ball into coverage at all this year, never mind the, the in, end zone interception against the Seahawks, where he was, I assuming he was just throwing the ball away, but he didn't get enough on it. I'm not really sure. I think he just saw some open grass and started to throw it in there. Um, that was just a weird play. But yeah, he's not, he's not throwing the ball into coverage. He's going to be a little inaccurate and you saw even on easy routes you know a six yard speed out or something like that against the cardinals he's missing so like there's going to be games like that 
Um, they, you know, McVeigh cooks up a really, really nice um, play action concept where he rolls out and kind of throws it back across the field. And uh, he just underthrows it and it gets picked. Like that's, but the, the read was there and usually he'll make that throw. And I think that is going forward, that's really, um, like, like you, I think they're the class really of the NFC. Um, yeah. Uh, I think um, some people were talking, I saw on Twitter some people talking about one of their issues being like, hey, can, like you said, can, can we do this offense, the McVeigh offense? A couple things right. with that. You know, just like the the Russell, the Seahawks offense is the Russell Wilson offense, right. this can be the Matt Stafford offense. Like, it doesn't have to be right. the, the Jared Goff offense. Yes, we were excited because right. we're like, hey, let, let's see what happens when you put a real quarterback in and, do, and run the exact same scheme, but you just don't have to. And, you know, you're going to give up some stuff because, like you talked about the run game, hey, if you're a shotgun team, an, a shotgun four open team, which they you don't run be the ball now, as well. That's how you're just it works. not going to run the ball as well. Yeah, like it, it, that's it, just how it works. It's just how it works. So like you have to make that decision, and they've made the decision to put the ball in Matt Stafford's hands with a great receiving core, and they feel like they feel comfortable being able to do that. And they're not running the ball well. And guess what? It don't matter. It just right. doesn't matter that they that they that they're not going to be able to run the ball more. But one of the things that I thought was really cool in the Thursday night game was. When they needed it, they got in the center and it gashed them with wide zone. Mm -hmm. So they can always reel it back in the same way that the Bills, we talked about the Bills being able to do that. Hey, we can, we can always reel it back. Like it's not working, we can reel it back because we have these two offenses, which a lot of teams just can't do. And Stafford has been, he's been excellent. The, the PFF grade hasn't been great because I think he's a little behind on some throws, but he's making all the right decisions. And I think this is just, him and McVeigh are just uh, absolute terror right now. Yeah, I mean, I again, to your point, we need to be able to divorce the idea that, like, if you see something that is very, that is statistically significant, the way that the outside zone play action stuff was for McVeigh under golf, you have to be able to divorce your mind from the fact that what you want to do is just take a guy that's very talented and just drop him in whatever the successful thing was. Again, what they did with that offense was basically the only way that they could generate offense on early downs. That like it's that simple. And it was extremely effective because it's a very effective way to run an offense. Like don't get me wrong, could they do that with Matt Stafford and be fine? Of course. But if you can get in the drop back world and beat teams that want to play, you know, single high or play soft zone coverage or play man, if you've got answers in the passing game and you know that it's more efficient for you, then why get under center and run outside zone all the time? They haven't abandoned it either. Like you said, when it's time to get back into that world, they can do it. And they, they have all the same pieces that they've had when it was successful, and they can still win games and control games that way. You know, the Indianapolis game was another good example of it. Matt Staff That was probably Matt Stafford's uh, worst game from an accuracy and decision-making standpoint, and he was still fine. But they realized, hey, if we can't get all the space in these intermediate windows against this team that's always playing – soft too high or soft cover three coverages, then let's just mash them with the run game. And they had a great day running the ball. And that's okay too. Like the point, the point of being a championship team isn't always taking your strength and making it a super strength. It's the ability to be able to win a bunch of different ways. There are some teams that can really lean hard into what they do. Like as an Eagles fan, the year they won the Super Bowl, they basically just lean hard into the fact that they can run mesh and all these man beaters 
over and over and over again because they had very experienced receivers who knew how to work through it. And Nick Foles was obviously on fire then. And they were able to win a Super Bowl that way. You know, the Pats have been able to lean into what they do and win Super Bowls that way. But if you have an offense that can legitimately say, hey, we can live in more than one world and still be championship level, then yeah, you want to work on all of it. Because if they're going to win a title, there's going to come a game where all that 12 personnel, wide zone, bootleg shit is not going to be there. And you're going to have to grow up, you know, and play real quarterback, you know, in 11 personnel out of the gun and be able to beat teams with your arm and your eyes. And they have the ability to do that. So I'm I'm not even going to grant the complaints the time of day. People are just going to have to see it in the playoffs to understand why it's so important to do this now. Um, So they are... Lower than they've ever have been in the McVeigh era on shifts and motions, pre-snap shifts. But again, you're in a different world. They are lower than they ever have been on play action. But again, you're in a different world. And man, you know, we talk about play action and, and um, you know, motion a lot and how important they are. So I guess the Rams probably are bottom third of the league in EPA per play. That's wrong. They're the number one team. Like, and it's been five games now. Like, they can move the football. They can move the football. Like, they're good. And the one game where they didn't, uh, the one game where they had trouble moving the football against Arizona, the game plan I thought was still fantastic. All right, uh, let's move off the NFL and let's get into uh, college football. And before we do that, I have to remind you, Too High is sponsored by Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of Big New Saturday Season 2, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at noon for 16 straight weeks. They just recently released USC, Georgia, North Carolina, Florida. Uh, and this Saturday, they will be releasing another. Um, so use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That's promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. All right, um, let's go to the big upset uh, of the weekend. That was uh, Alabama losing to Texas A&M. And that, to me, is out of nowhere. I think Texas A&M has a good roster, but I didn't think they have a good quarterback. And I thought Alabama covered – I don't know if the spread was 17 points, 19 points. I thought Alabama covers easily. And that's that didn't happen. Anything that caught your eye when you were watching this game? Um, let's start with the A&M on defense. Um, I think that multiple people have pointed out, you know, it was very obvious throughout the course of the game that Alabama just had a lot of trouble protecting Bryce Young. And we were kind of trying to sort out what, it, what what the issues were. And I mean, in the college world where you basically are always working out of one protection, right? It's basically always half slide, unless you're going to like play action max protect with seven and running some vertical shot. Um, there are ways to manipulate it. But what AM was doing, you would not typically associate that with manipulating the protection against a half slide team. Like if you show that you're bringing all the bodies off of one side, you would just slide to where all the bodies are coming from and you pick up all the bodies. Like, <laughs> I, I, I understand that like you're afraid because yeah, oh, they're showing all these bodies, but maybe they're coming from the side. But at some, at some point when they show four to one side of the center, that slides to the four man side I'm sorry that that overrides everything (laughs) and you know and the funny thing is if you do that then what you're doing is putting it on the quarterback to have to pick up the potential that it's some you know dummy it's some bluff look and you're actually wringing pressure away from it 
which is what the protection is set up for, right? You're trying to block the most dangerous, and then the quarterback is supposed to be responsible for the guy that you can't block. That's the idea of protection. Um, so that was a concern. I do think from a coverage perspective, the one thing that I was talking to you about that I was really interested by is the way that A&M set up their coverage structure behind them. So one thing that I think a lot of teams are trying to find ways to phase out of is playing like the old school fire zone three under three deep coverage, right? Because all of these offenses are so good at being able so, to get into these vacated areas, right? Fire so, zone meaning... Uh, you're rushing like five. It's rushing five and you're kind of still playing from for the most case the coverage behind it is like cover three but you're cover missing three. one extra defender because he's exactly basically it. exactly so teams are trying to get out of that so the way that you've seen some teams respond um you know we talked about it with cincinnati last week some teams get even more aggressive with it right they say well we'll trade having that one underneath hole player to have another guy getting after the quarterback we already know we're short in coverage anyways why have this guy standing in the middle of the field if we can just force the ball out of the quarterback's hands? There are teams that do it that way. And then there are these guys who exist kind of in this middle of the field open world, this quarters world. And what you want to do in fire zones with them, obviously you don't want to just play cover zero across the board and just have two underneath players just, you know, twiddling their thumbs. So with all these zone match and man match coverages, um, you're seeing teams play three over two to one side and then zeroing out. So... You know, by that I mean if there are two receivers, you have three defenders playing some form of cover two or cover four over those three receivers. And then on the back side, so on the other two receivers, you're going to have your corner and your safety basically playing cover zero, straight man-to-man, -man, right, with no underneath help. And what you're banking on if you're sending pressure is what A&M was able to do on Saturday, which is like we're going to get that free rusher after the quarterback on the side of the protection where he's not looking. And it was just snap after snap after snap where there are these free rushers coming inside the B-gaps and Bryce and Bryce Young is trying to work his progression away from it and doesn't even get a chance to feel the pressure, right? Like he doesn't even get an opportunity to work hot, you know, get to his hot throw the way that you would expect. And the few reps where he did, they hurt A&M. Like they threw a touchdown against one of these pressures, you know, it was a very they, easy, they a hey, on over the, the top. Yeah. Yep. You're supposed, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You either hit that slant as a hot route underneath, or you just take the one-on-one -on -one shot before pressure gets there. Same idea as what you would do for any fire zone, you know, um, but you have to be able to see it. And that's why the protection is more important in a way, or the issues with protection is more important than what the play calls were in terms of the passes. I thought the passing concepts they called were fine, but you got to be able to recognize where the threats are coming from, pick them up, and then allow your quarterback to be able to beat one-on-one -on -one coverage when he recognizes it. Yeah, I think they had two. Like, you don't see an Alabama team with that many free rushers, and like we said, like there was Basically some ever, ever right. Um, there were some that now I, the one thing I'll say is like I don't know how they're doing their protections. Like in the NFL, if this were to happen, you would blame the whole team and you can't like this is bad right like you know yeah, in college, this is inexcusable. <laughs> it's inexcusable in college it's like yes we don't want free rushers but at the same time i i don't want to be like oh the center didn't do it or the quarterback didn't do it i don't know how it's doing it it's probably coming from the sideline and they didn't they don't adjust because exactly. they have a young quarterback who's they're not comfortable having him pick sides and i don't like i don't know so I, it is what it is and it was a really good job by mike elko who's a really good defensive coordinator um yes. you know getting that um getting some free rushers 
they had one that I really liked. Uh, we talked about this one before we got on here. I think the first one they had a free, clean, free rusher where they the the weak safety holds it, holds it. He's deep. He's at 12. He's holding it. He, maybe he's creeping a little bit, but he's holding it. He's holding it. And he just waited for the center to put his head down. The second the center put his head down, then he, started, then he was coming. He was coming, and they ended up with four to his side, and they couldn't block everyone because they, they were already in a in a, um, in a slide to the other side. So that, that's the type of thing where I'm like, hey, it is what it is. Like, you got beat, you got beat. It's not the end of the world. But the other ones where they're showing four to his side, and they never switched to it, switched the slide to that side, I understand. The only thing I'll say, it's funny because we're like, oh, well, what did Texas A&M do? What did Texas A&M do? Well, Alabama scored 38 fucking points. Like, at the end of the day, like, Alabama and Bryce Young was still really, really good, and the receivers were still really, really good, except for a couple drops at the end, one that kind of killed the game at the end um, by the 19, the tight end. But um, they're still, Bryce Young was, is still awesome. Honestly, he's still awesome. And Brian Robinson is awesome. And the offensive line, when they blocked somebody, was awesome. Yes. Like, and they scored 38 points. And honestly, right, yeah. they fumbled they fumbled the ball on a run play on like fourth and one on like the, the fullback dive, I think it was. They get yep, a pick they had that in weird the end, end zone. Of the half as well. Like, there's a lot, you know, they did leave. They left points on the board. This, they left they points on the board. 50, they scored a lot of points honestly. and they left points on the board. Yeah. So I'm like, not really This like, could have been a 50 point yeah. game. So then let's flip it to the, to the other side. Let's talk about Alba's defense because that really is the issue. Um, oh, the other thing I'll say with, with Texas A&M, with Elko, he did a good job of, we've talked about it the whole episode so far, they didn't ever feel, and maybe they should have, but they never felt the need to get out of their quarter stuff, and they were able to deal with right. a lot of the play-action stuff that um, Alabama likes to do to get post routes and stuff to open down the field. Uh, they did a really good job staying deep and, and just not letting anything anything happen underneath. So, yeah, um, let's, let's flip it. Uh, thoughts on uh, Alabama's defense. Um, so one thing that A&M did really well with them, you know, and obviously this makes sense given that Jimbo Fisher was a former Saban assistant, like a lot of the concepts that Calzada looked good on were all kind of like, they were beater concepts. It was all like man match, quarters, beaters, man match, middle of the field, close beaters. Really what they did extremely well to me, where they got a lot of explosive passes on, we're having guys that were aligned either in the backfield or in the core of the formation. So as a tight end, whether he's on the ball or off, you know, having your running back kind of not in a typical alignment where it's like maybe one yard back, one yard deep and one yard outside of the quarterback. But he's got that wider kind of alignment to get a freer release off of the edge and then being able to run those guys vertically. That was that was kind of the key to the game to me was being able to get guys in the seam creative ways. You know, whether it was by motion, having guys delay and release. Um, they had some nice rub routes that yeah, they were running yeah, as well. Um, you know, like he called all of all the coverages that you want to call, against, all the concepts yeah. you want to call against tight coverage concepts. You know, Alabama wants to be on your hip all game long in coverage. And in order to beat that, number one, you've got to be able to manufacture guys getting open by forcing people to exchange these routes. And then number two, like I don't think Calzada had a good game, but the one thing I will credit him no. with the one thing I will credit him with is if you're going to beat this defense, you got to throw it over the top. And at least he was willing to throw the ball yep. over the top and take chances on one-on-ones. You know, the worst thing you could do against a defense like this is like what Derek King tried to do, you know, when he had time to throw, which is try to force the ball underneath and intermediate. They're sitting they're sitting hard on those routes. It's never going to work. You Nine times out of ten, again, to your point, I think if Calzada plays this game ten times, he has this performance one time, and this yeah. just happened to be the one time that he had this performance. 
but the calls the calls that they had prepared is what you're trying to get to in order to beat this type of defense I'll, I'll add that I thought the offensive line played really really good yes um, in pass pro and they were able to run the football and this wasn't a, a fluke well maybe it was a fluke I mean maybe Alabama doesn't allow another uh, big rushing game again but this wasn't a, oh, nothing's there. Let me bounce it out. And, oh, we're getting 20 yards because we bounced it. We broke a tackle. Dude, they were right. hitting through the A-gaps. Right. And getting all downhill. All day. Downhill. Like, you don't see that often ever against Alabama. And then, like I said, the, in pass protection, they were really good. It allowed Calzada to to just feel comfortable, I guess. Because he hadn't he's hadn't looked good going into this game. And he, I'm not, not going to try and like, shit on the kid too much. Probably not going to look good that going forward either. Like we uh, haven't seen that much it. out of him, yeah, but they just, expect. but yeah, um, Jimbo did a really good job, and and uh, I think you're absolutely right. They were able to get, and Alabama's not the best man coverage team this year, and that they were able to to take some shots, like you said, down the field. They got the slot fade going down the field, and he put the ball where it needed to be put. You know what I mean? Right. He put the ball where it needed to be put. But the protection was a good a good example of that was the first touchdown to Jalen Watermeyer on four verts, where you have all his time in the world. The protection, you know, the protection doesn't break down. What ends up happening is the coverage breaks down, and the corner is too far inside on the on the seam, and then all of a sudden you get Watermeyer wide open. So, yeah, I think the the protection and everything, every, everything just went right. Right. They, they really probably were the weren't the best team in that game, but everything went right, and and they get the win, and it throws college football for a loop, and that's what we're what we're excited about. Um, all right, before we get into our last topic of the day, just want to remind you guys, the Too High podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify, identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, last game um, we want to talk about, and really we just want to talk about one side of the ball, unfortunately, for you um, Oklahoma offense fans. We just want to talk about our favorite coach, <laughs> and that is Steve Sarkeesian, who is putting together one of the best passing offenses in college football this year. And he's doing it without great talent. Uh, Bijan Robinson is a great runner, but besides that, I don't know if there's great talent. Casey Thompson impressed me a little bit, that's for sure. Um, you yeah. can't do, he can't have a great passing offense without a good, at least a good quarterback. Casey Thompson's pretty good, but the offensive line is okay. The receivers, mm -hmm. maybe you know this this freshman kid who played well. Maybe I'll say the Swarthy kid did look. He looked good. I mean, and obviously, you know, we'll kind of get into it, but the way that Oklahoma was playing him kind of set up a situation where he could look like Devontae Smith for a game. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that he's that good, you know. Um, but, yeah, continue on. Well, no, I know. Let, let's go. Let's get into it right away. Like, what was – what? What? why do you love Sark like I do? <laughs> that's, um, that's the question. To me, like, to me, again, you know, I, I feel like I've said this a thousand times, but I want to continue to beat this drum. Like, the best offense is prepared to punish you for doing a very specific thing. And this offense prepares to punish you for playing single high safety and really to punish you if you're playing cover one. And Oklahoma, for whatever reason, and they did this against LSU in 2019 as well, so I don't understand what the idea behind it is. He, it just, he likes, Grinch likes cover one. There you go. That's I, I that's just it. don't, I, I, I will never understand it playing up against 
offenses that you don't want to be explosive and run all these crossing routes, they continue to play one against them. And it plays right into the hands of what Sark likes to do, which is take these deep downfield shots. Um, so that's what that, I mean, that's really kind of what that, that whole first quarter was like the cover one beater handbook. Um, you know, outside of that first bubble screen, you know, where they kind of got so they got some soft coverage and it's basically a punt return out on the sideline. You miss a tackle and the guy's out the gate. That can happen. You know, uh, there's not really a scheme answer for that. The, the answer is making a tackle. Um, but I will say, like, what they did out of 12 personnel, um, I showed you a couple of clips where they were getting into like a two by two 12 personnel set. So the two tight ends are both off the ball. So they look like wings. And then you bring the two outside receivers in tight. So you're creating what looks almost like stacks. And knowing that Oklahoma likes to play a lot of cover one, the linebackers have to be able to flow with movement in the backfield. So they're running this split zone action where, so if they're running zone to the left, that tight end wing that's on the right-hand side away from the play is running an arc action, meaning that he's leaving the end, the end man on the line of scrimmage alone and climbing up to the run support defender. And then the splitter, who's coming from the left side back to the right, so he's cutting across the action, he's kicking out the MN on the line of scrimmage. And what it's a lot like, actually, is something that we've talked about that people on Twitter have picked up on, which is the motions that teams are doing in the NFL, where they're getting that extra guy coming for like run support or that edge defender. So you're cutting out both of the backside run fitters at one time. And if you're playing cover one with that, the linebackers have to fall back, meaning that they go from one gap to the next gap in order to match the movement of bodies. And they just kept handing the ball off to Bajon Robinson yeah. and he's hitting the edge and there's nobody home because the linebackers are falling back. The run support players are being kicked out by tight ends. And then you've got these tight splits with these receivers where they can go up and get safeties, right? And now you've got these corners in situations where they got a bad angle on the tackle and whether they have a good angle or not. Bajon Robinson is the best, maybe the best yeah. offensive player, you know, in the country this year. And you're probably going to lose that more times than not. Um, so that was really impressive. Not only what they can do in the passing game with all these crossing routes, these deep shots off of play actions. Like they had a play where both guys are running over routes. You have one that's running kind of a low cross at 12 to 15. And you have a guy running this high cross at like 22 yards. And you're just putting these corners and this free safety in such a bind. And they missed on it when they called it. Yeah, but you can see, but you yeah. can see, like, okay, if you keep playing cover one against this guy, they're gonna keep punishing you for it. So, you know, again, you know, I, Sark is—he's just so good at this. He's so good at this. All the play calls are calculated. You know, we talk about at the NFL level, guys like uh, Shanahan and McVay and Lafleur, like all the guys off of that tree and what they're able to do to manipulate cover one. And Sark is basically running almost a lot of the exact same plays at a spread presentation instead yes. of like the two back yes. stuff. But that that's what it is. They're really able to punish teams if you want to play man or play any kind of single high call. Is there anything else that you saw that I didn't? No, I mean that was it. I mean I, I wrote on Twitter that I you know Sark kind of broke football and he's and I said the same thing last year with Alabama and it's just crazy to see him be able to do it again with a lesser team. Um, though I don't know how good Big Twelve defenses are, but regardless they they're just they're dominating. They're through the air. And he just, you know, you, you, you live in this world where, all right, we're very calculated when we call the shot play. And, all right, we're going to call it, you know, midway through the first quarter. Or we're going to wait. We're going to show him. We're going to show him this. We're going to show him this. We're going to show him this. Midway through the second quarter, that's when we're going to hit him with a shot play. 
He's like, I have fucking 35 shot plays and I'm going to call them all in this game. Like he just, and, and, and then he's using all this pre-stat motion and stuff to get uh, defenders' eyes undisciplined. And you saw it on one of the long touchdown runs or on like a skinny post from condensed set. And he's just getting everyone open down the field. And you thought, oh, well, look at, the, you know, Waddle and Smith and, and, and Mechie as a third receiver. Wow, unbelievable. Uh, but he's doing it with Texas too. And I think that's really, um, it's really incredible. And I, one thing that I think is really interesting going forward in college football, one of the issues that I see is can you do this without huddling? So I know Nick Saban went on like the Manning cast a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, I don't understand why. And I should like Nick Saban knows what the fuck's going on. But he said, why isn't everyone no huddle? And I and it's like, yes, but you got to find a way to be able to have these big packages where you're calling these tagging, these motions and these all, you know, he's running all sorts of different formations. He's running all sorts of different motions. So it's like, yeah, you want to be 2019 LSU and call four things and just execute at the highest level ever, then that's one thing. But then you could do no huddle and you could steal all the signals you want and you're good. But like for, I think huddling is kind of, kind of, kind of got to come back. I think that's where we're kind of going in, in college football is huddling might be coming back. At least if you want to get these shot plays off, you know, for, for a lot of these offenses, like, again, to your point, what Sark is better at than almost everybody else is his situational play calling. And you got to be a top 1% mind to be able to get to that stuff without huddling. You know, like yeah. the idea of Oh, switching, yeah, that's crazy, yeah. Yeah, you've got to be – you have to be at a different level of understanding of defenses and when the right time is. I mean, just things as simple as being able to call a shot play based off of changing your personnel grouping. That's hard to do, you know, if you're not huddling. And to your point, like if you if you want to do what a lot of these offenses want to do to generate these plays where you've got these orbit or these jet motions, you've got these deep drop back play action sets, you're trying to hide where a certain receiver splits are, that's where huddling becomes really advantageous, right? If, I'm, if I, as a defensive coach, can't stare at the formation for 13 seconds and say, hey, I've seen this. Every time they do this on second down, they're running this play. I can just get into some deep zone call or I can just send the house. Um, so yeah, to your point, it is going to be valuable. I think even if it's just like a sugar huddle like Auburn used to with Gus Malzahn, like you've kind of got to be able to do stuff like that, I think, to generate some of those plays. All right. Well, uh, this was the Two High Podcast. Uh, with uh, myself and myself, Seth Galina and Deontay Lee. And we will see you uh, later this week. All right, thanks for listening. <laughs>